Lesson 104. Can you believe it? We went through 2,000 years of church history in two years. Where are we? Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Oh, Matthew chapter 6. I trust that you're all there. Amen. All right. And we're reading verses 19 to 24. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and your whole body will, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. He'll most certainly add his abundant blessing to the reading of his holy truth. And one of the key verses there is actually verses 19... Uh, the key group of verses, verses 19 to 21. And in this whole section, we see um, where our heart is, there is our treasure. And then Jesus makes a correlation between the eye and the body as far as what we look at. Um, When we were in the Wednesdays, we were looking at Psalm 130, uh, last two Wednesdays in our devotionals, and we saw this word, uh, it's uh, Kiati Yehovah, which is translated in most Bibles, await, but it really literally means to look. And so when you're waiting, you have your eyes upon the Lord. And so the eye there is still consistent and congruent with what is being spoken of as far as for tr- our treasure, what is most important to us. And then when it finally ends in that little portion there, it says you cannot serve God in money. Money is when it speaks of money, or in the King James Version, mammon, it's basically just the measurement of value for what we esteem on earth. And in the sense of our spiritual, our spiritual lives, we recognize that if money or whatever it is, or what rep- is represented by our value system, if that's what we're trying to get, then we're not getting God, as it were. Our eyes should be upon God. Our treasure is God in Christ. And therefore, if money ends up being that, or what we treasure or value apart from God, then we have a divided heart. We have a darkened eye. We have treasure on earth rather than treasure in heaven. And that's basically how we're concluding this section. As you recall that the age of reason or the, excuse me, preceding the age of reason was the Renaissance, kind of an enlightenment to, uh, even though the age of reason is called the age of enlightenment, the Renaissance just opened the door um, to the age of reason and enlightenment. Uh, It was a cultural, cultural, philosophical, and religious Renaissance through around the 1300s to the 1600s. But uh, thankfully, it was also a spiritual renaissance in that Martin Luther in fifth, on October 31st, 1517, nailed his 95 theses to the, uh, ch- the castle door at the church at Wittenberg, and that sparked the Reformation by Scripture alone. 
is uh, our authority. The age of reason watered, started watering that down, and then we could see a separation in history of those that even the naysayers, the unbelievers, applied a bad label to those who wanted to stand upon Scripture, on, by, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. They called them Puritans. Oh, those Puritans, they want to be, they think they're holy. No, God says that we should be holy because he's holy. That gave way in the 1900s, as we saw, to modernism. For 40 years, modernism, in fact, even it really began in the late 1800s when men like Walter Rauschenbosch and, uh, and uh, Charles Sheldon, uh, Rauschenbosch, a Baptist minister, called the father of uh, modern liberalism. And, uh, and uh, uh, Charles Sheldon, who wrote In His Steps, a Congregationalist minister that said socialism is the answer to men's ills. And they liberalized scripture. They said it wasn't, it was a word from God and not the word of God. And so they, they still believed that it was inspired and they still believed that there was absolute truth. But it, but it gave way to what we know after World War II as the postmodern period. Absolute truth is out the window. Uh, the scriptures are no longer authority. And it just kind of crept in through the war. As we have Rosie the Riveter there, that she took her place, as we've mentioned for the last 19 lessons in this postmodern period, that that uh, she took she took her uh, took the man uh, took the positions that should be given over to that were traditionally men and had taken them over in church and in the workplace. They were the boss. They were the ones taking children off to school when the mandate was given to fathers: nurture your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and that, I believe, I, I truly believe that it will give place to what I call neo-Gnosticism. Whereas at the end of the first century, as we looked at a hundred or so lessons ago, um, as we looked at church history at the end of the first century, where Gnosticism, John had to write an epistle to the churches from Ephesus to mention that you know, God is light and in him is no darkness at all in order to address the Gnosticism which comes from the Garden of Eden through Satan. Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 says, you will not surely die. In verse 5 he says, for God knows that when you eat of, of, of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. First he promises eternal life by doing disobedience unto God, you shall not die. Then uh, in verse 5, he promises illumination, your eyes will be opened. He promises deity, you shall be like God. And then finally he says, you'll have secret knowledge. You'll know, you, you'll know uh, good and evil. The secret knowledge. That's what Gnosticism has done. And that's, as we saw also in the late 1800s, as it was starting to come about, were things that we thought were, even in our lifetime, where we thought they were somewhat innocent. Um, the Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. The man was a theosophist. He was, he, basically, he was a Satanist. And one of the people that influenced him was uh, Madame Leblat. Le Le yeah, her. <laughs> 
Labatsky, Labatsky, uh, yeah, I'll get my Russian brother over here to pronounce her name. She was Russian, um, since I don't have it written down. But he was influenced by that. He was a part of the organization that she started. And uh, when you think about, if you really take the Wizard of Oz and look at it, yeah, it was theosophist in philosophy. That's what it was all about. And uh, so now we look at overlapping theologies and movements. And I just selected four. And interestingly, as I was looking at it, I didn't realize I was doing it. I may have done it subconsciously, but these also offer, in a sense, the same things that move into Gnosticism. Um, I might be, it may be a stretch, some of them, and you could probably change them around, but um, we, we come off the heels of evangelical feminism, egalitarianism, women, uh, women taking authority uh, and having equal authority with men, which just defies the gospel. It just does. Because then if, if the authority structure that God has ordained is not, is not authoritative, then God isn't. Then we don't have to take his word seriously. Then we don't have to listen to what he says. And that's exactly what they do. Here we see some overlapping stuff. The first guy is uh, Joel Osteen, or as one of my friends calls him, Joel Self-Esteem. And he, <laughs> if you want to feel good about yourself, honestly, you, uh, I mean, if you just were not a Christian, or even if you are and you kind of put on the lenses of, of the world so, for, for a moment, and you listen to him, that, no wonder there's 30,000 people that attend the Lakewood Church in Texas. It, if you want to feel good about yourself, he'll make you feel good. You almost will, after 28 minutes of him preaching, you might think that you'll get white teeth just like him. Seriously. Or sadly. Prosperity gospel and word faith theology. He, they are a non-denominational church, but they slide into a lot of categories, and this is why they're overlapping. Uh, the prosperity gospel, everything about what he uh, presents is really on the fringe. It's not outright craziness as we looked in the, you know, in the extreme charismatic movement by guys like Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, all these people that just have outlandish statements and copy from one another. You know, like where we had on that recording where Benny Hinn says that uh, it's, it's not a triune God, there's nine of them. Oh, you'll have to go back and listen to that lesson, sister. Benny Hinn said that the Father has a soul, body, and spirit. Jesus did, and the Holy Spirit did. So if I could shock you, he says, there's nine of them. And I actually played the recording for the, for the thing. So, uh, um, and, and look at and his, his biggest seller. All, most of you know what it is. Your best life now. And I actually had the audacity to read it years ago. Over to, before the Lord called me to pastoral ministry, I read it. And the interesting thing about it, when I read it, and I haven't read it since, and I don't have a copy of it, um, there are a lot, he says a lot of things that Christians should do, but it's void of the gospel. And in fact, some of the things that he directs really actually take you in the opposite direction opposite of what Matthew chapter 6 tells us to do. 
that our eye should be singular. It should be upon Christ. That our treasure is Christ and his gospel. And that our value, our value is in Christ. We can't serve, if we're serving what a, a value system, money, or it's equivalent for that treasure, then we cannot serve Christ. We can't serve two masters because money will have, or whatever your value is apart from the gospel, will have mastery over you. It will, you will be its slave if you're given to it. Um, it's the the ministry is egalitarian as we looked into the feminist gospel or the feminist quote unquote gospel or the feminist evangelicalism. It's egalitarian because Victoria Osteen is a co-pastor at the Lakewood Church. Uh, here's a quote uh, from the website: "Quote as co-pastor of Lakewood Church, Victoria is an integral part of each service." and the Night of Hope worship events across the U.S. and abroad, end quote. And, and what is sad about this, much more problematic, is that it's not confined to the 30,000 or 15,000 in several services or whatever it is in that auditorium. It's not confined to Houston, Texas. It is worldwide through their media ministries, because Joel isn't a dummy. He was under his father, John Osteen, who was a Baptist who became, and we kind of covered that a little bit, who was a Baptist who became charismatic through the prosperity gospel, through prosperity doctrine, the false prosperity doctrine. And, uh, when, uh, and he ran the media. That's what Joel, that's where his education and background is, is the media. So he parlayed that into a multi-billion, billions of dollar empire worldwide, worldwide. And so uh, uh, that, and then now taking this, so they have the prosperity doctrine as a part of it. They have evangelical feminism as a part of it. So there's overlap from the things that we have looked at. Number three, Norman Vincent Peale, Power of Positive Thinking. In the 40s, Norman Vincent Peale, which was, uh, was a very influential man coming off the heels of the liberalism, of the, uh, the liberalism and the modernism of the early, 19th, of the early 20th century. And uh, one of his friends was Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he just, you know, he'd finished writing the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. He wrote it for Christians. Uh, Robert Schuller was influenced by him. Rick Warren was influenced by him and so forth. And he asked Donald Gray Barnhouse, he says, what do your, what do your friends think of my book? And Donald, Donald Gray Barnhouse, without missing a beat, said, my friends find Paul appealing and Peel appalling. But here's, what, here's one of uh, some of the two quotes that I have from Mr. Joel's self-esteem. Quote, don't make excuses. Don't blame the past. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. End quote. That's like one of my favorites. Just because it has that, kind of has that Al Sharpton rhyming thing going. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. Sorry, I don't have the smile. <laughs> 
That's one of his quotes. But really, if you when you when it, you boil it down to it's a, just its essential nuggets, it's no different from what you know. Uh, um, what you believe is what you can achieve. Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, here's another quote: Choosing to be positive, of having a Choosing, quote, choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life, end quote. Wow, if that's all there was, it's no wonder that people are flocking to this. Because then you don't have to believe in a bloody cross. You don't have to be convicted by sin, righteousness, and judgment. You don't have to look at Christ who is altogether righteous and altogether lovely and say, my life doesn't measure up. Because you don't have to look at that. It's already in you. Power of positive thinking. And then on their website, they uh, number four, Liberties with the Inspired Scripture. Though their website states this, quote, We believe the entire Bible is inspired by God without error and the authority on which we base our faith, conduct, and doctrine, end quote. Now that sounds great. But then when you go on YouTube and look at what he preaches... Joel rarely uses scripture, and when he does, it's used to support his philosophical approach to life every single time that I've seen it. Now, I can't say every, absolutely every single time, because not only do I not have the time to watch every one of his videos, I don't want to watch them, because <laughs> there's some things that you can't unhear. You hear it, and you go, that is so terrible. It does not glorify God. The verse is nearly always used out of context in order to support, you know, this prosperity doctrine and the power of positive thinking. So he, so with the power of positive thinking, again, it overlaps into the seeker-sensitive because they use that model and the, the purpose-driven. So you have all this overlap in the joelosteen.com and on Joel Osteen Ministries. Uh, it's almost always used, and rarely is it, does it exalt Christ and almost never proclaims the gospel to lost sinners. I don't think, I've, I, I tried to actually try to find one, and I cannot find one where the gospel is given to, to lost sinners, ever. And, and I, I didn't do an extensive study, but I tried to find it. I tried to find something that was there that was positive. And though he says some things right, like we see, that clock up there, can, it, if it was broken or had no batteries, it'll be right, right twice a day, but it still won't give us the time throughout. And that's it. He won't, you don't get the gospel throughout. And if you will, this is a promise by your best life now, it, the treasure is abundant life on earth. And so that means that he gives a promise that Satan promised in the garden. It's part of the leading into neo-Gnosticism. He's promising eternal life. You can have it now, apart from eternal life, which is ironic, isn't it? You can have eternal life without eternal life, because your life is that which is here. And in fact, he wrote, a new, he wrote two newer books. One is on Proverbs, and another one is The Best is Yet to Come. And you think... 
Oh, did Joel finally get the message that they're, instead of your best life now, that when heaven comes, when we, that Christ is heaven, he is the gospel, and that when he returns, that's what heaven is, being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. No. He's talking about, are you down in the dumps? Well, you could have your best life now. It's just basically a sequel to your best life now. And Proverbs, you don't even want to go there. I'm not going there. The, it's the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom from God. He, everything in there is twisted. Contemporary Christian music. Any questions or comments so far? Do you feel like you have to take a bath now just going over that first point? <laughs> Sorry about that. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Not only from all sin, but it is refreshment unto our souls. So just take a glimpse at the cross, grit your teeth, and bear down with this next one. Contemporary Christian music. Now I have to say, as far as for the history of, of this, because one of the premise, premises they use, one of the premises they use, to justify the contemporary Christian music movement is, well, Martin Luther... Well, John Newton, those hymns were contemporary. There's a difference between their contemporary hymns of that day. John Newton, John Rapon, um, Isaac Watts, Philip Doddridge. These were theologians that were writing hymns. John Newton, the pastor's pastor. Though he was an Anglican, when any, and I've told you this time and again, and John Newton, among Bunyan, uh, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon, and John Newton, as far as uh, I glean more from their writings growing up um, in my Christian life than all other things combined. And John Newton was the pastor's pastor. Uh, he wrote hymns to those messages, and when he moved from uh, from Olney to London, when he was pastor in, uh, of uh, St. Mary's, everyone went to him. If they had trouble understanding what scripture, what a scripture said, and it was a tough thing to understand, they went to John Newton. Um, John Newton. But it's not the same. The contemporary Christian music movement was the was um, started off with very innocent roots, and even reluctantly, um, there, there's a movie on Hulu, which is if you have Hulu, it's free. But I think it's on Amazon Prime for four ninety nine or whatever. It's called the Jesus Music, and uh, and it stars Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and a lot of the people that were involved in the early days. It started really in the 60s, the history of it, and it's different. And and also, I need to bring this caveat up, that not every contemporary song or hymn is part of the contemporary Christian music movement. We sing some hymns that are in our hymnal that are contemporary, and there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, Melody Green, the wife of the late Keith Green, wrote, uh, um, There is a Redeemer. We sing that. I love that song. Um, it it brings it, it does bring me to a place of worship. But more than that, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, more than that, it prepares my heart to receive the word, which is what worship should be about. It should have us put us in a position so that we're hearing from God, and not the experience of worship. 
Um, it started off in the 1960s, um, and uh, I think we, we mentioned Chuck Smith. He was a dear man. I, I met Chuck, and some of you actually knew him better than me meeting him. He, uh, I met him in Hawaii a few times. And, um, but he was, he was uh, from the Foursquare background. He started the Calvary Chapel movement. And so, uh, the, but the, uh, the hippies um, started being saved in the 60s. There was a move of the Jesus movement. Uh, there was a move of the Spirit of God, and the Jesus movement started from that. Um, he uh, and part of that was Chuck Smith appearing on the Catherine Coleman show, a charismatic, hyper charismatic, really. Uh, Benny Hinn was working at the ministry at the time, and he was reluctant to go there because he saw that that was a little quite off base in many ways, but. They went on to share what God was doing through Chuck in Southern California and uh, in, in preaching the word. He preached the word, and that was the thing. He wanted to know the word, uh, wanted to know Christ through the word, and share that gospel with these people that most churches you know, kicked out. And he did. But here are these guys that were musicians— and they came in and they, you know, I have this song about Jesus. And it started in the Sunday evening services. And he, uh, he listened to it first. He said, okay, that's okay. You can play that. And, we'll... and they were singable songs. You could worship along with them. If you had the words, you could do the, uh, go along with it. But it blew up into more of a, um, by the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was becoming very performance driven and that was the the how it really just started taking off and there were these contemporary artists and artists was really it there was no difference in a in a rock concert and some of these contemporary christian music happenings they were just basically concerts but the words were for jesus and um at the same time there were others were like uh, Keith Green when he went out. Uh, I would I'm I'm hesitant to lump him into the contemporary Christian music movement because when he went out to do something, he said he he, he there was no payment in the concert or quote unquote concert that when he played the songs and and so forth, he urged folks to sing along if they knew the words, but they didn't take up. Uh, they didn't. Uh, you didn't pay to get in. It was offering base, just like a church. They might pass a bucket or whatever. And there were other artists that, or Christian, contemporary Christian artists that uh, tried to follow that model. But Keith uh, had a uh, mailing list that he sent out and let people know when he, where he was going to be or when an album was coming out. In fact, he left mainstream music, Sparrow Records. To, to just produce the records on his own and then just make them available for whatever you could afford. Because he says, well, everyone needs the gospel, you know, we, and, and if it's the gospel, you can't charge, was his thinking. So that's a little bit of the history. And then this is just a brief overview. I'm not going to get exhaustive on it. Um, but its overlap is that it appealed to seeker-sensitive and purpose-driven because it was very music-driven as opposed to the preparation of the soul for and the heart to understand the word when it was preached. 
Another uh, overlap was uh, it was also appealed to the charismatic movement, Hillsong oneness, Pentecostalism, Hillsong. There, though you go to the website, it started off in the UK, then there was a musician that was a, a music pastor in Australia, and that really kicked off the whole Hillsong movement, and uh, it's worldwide now with churches everywhere. I think it actually started in Africa, but uh, yeah, Buzz. Oh yeah, worship teams. Yeah, they're they're presented as worship teams now, and um, yeah, they they come in, they bring in all their mu- music and stuff like that. But when with the songs that they what they write, Hillsong, um, they kind of stay away from a lot of heavy doctrine because when you do investigate with the people that are writing these, Phillips, Craig, and Dean is another one, which are not with Hillsong, but they're oneness Pentecostal. They deny the Trinity, and how. Is it that you could worship if the purpose of worship is, and when we have song, when we're worshiping the Lord in song, which is supposed to prepare our hearts to receive the word, if we're singing along with people that are facilitating our worship that don't believe the Trinity, there's a conflict there. So that becomes a a difficulty. The difference between historical biblical worship and the Christian contemporary uh, music worship is uh, noted by Dan Lucarini, who wrote a book, Why I Left the Christian Contemporary Music Movement. And I made some adjustments on this, if you'll bear with me. Uh, The primary purpose of song worship, so I adjusted it a little bit because he does uh, identify them, but you know, um, and, uh, but I I, I kind of changed it slightly. but I left everything concerning what he, because he left the contemporary Christian music movement. I left what he had presented. The primary purpose of song worship and traditional worship is to prepare hearts to hear preaching of the word, to hear the preaching of the word. That's, I mean, it's all worship and everything is worship, but our greatest worship is to hear God speak. That's the, God spoke from the beginning, let there be light. We make a confession of faith right away when he has saved us, and therefore the purpose of worship is to hear from God, to hear from God, to worship him in the preaching of the word. CCM ushers people into the presence of God. Wait a minute, if I'm saved, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Lord dwells in me, dwells in you. So we don't need to get into the presence of God through song. We need to worship the God who's already there to prepare our hearts to understand how to worship Him better. Number two, the primary emphasis in worship, according to traditional worship, is the preaching of the Word, uh, is the primary emphasis, versus the CCM music. Just, that's it. In fact, I heard this one CCM artist that said, that went through all the trials and tribulations of the stardom and the scandals and all these other things. He says, well, at least there's the music. I used to have a, my head, forehead used to be way out here. The palm plant to the forehead. Jesus is our rock, our refuge, our place of sanctification and salvation, our solace. Not music. 
I enjoy a good and snappy tune like any other person. But uh, and I, I think that's ironic that that's why he shifted from the guitar. The, the and the amplifier is only so I could hear when I'm playing. But I don't want it to overburden. I turn the volume down because we I couldn't hear you. So I have to. I turn the volume down on my guitar playing so that I could hear the guitar, but also I could hear you and only have enough rhythm in there so that you could all worship. And then that's why I switched over to the piano and played my simple dun 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 dun, my chopsticks <laughs> version of uh, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. The primary motive for selecting music traditional says, Does it glorify God through Christian exaltation? That was my take on it. I really did put that. According to Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3 verse 16. CCM, on the other hand, says, do people like it? Okay. The primary motive. The secondary considerations in traditional uh, worship, is it singable, understandable, and unifying? According to Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. That's secondary, but it's still an important part. It should be singable, understandable, and unifying. So, uh, so that we can be united in one accord when we lift up our voices. CCM says, um, um, oh, does God like it? Well, if we did the primary, then God would like it because he's the one who ordained it for the preaching of his word. And then the secondary would be that which so primary indicator for faithful service traditional worship says did did the spirit convict of sin righteousness and judgment from the preaching of the word it's truth based ccm says i really worship god today it's experience based experience and what does this experience do what's where's their treasure it's in the music or quote unquote the art as, so therefore, it's experience-based, and that is like the lie from the devil. Illumination. It illuminates something within me to get me moved, whether emotions or whatever. Religious right movement. Or also called the Christian right movement. Now, there's overlaps there. It, there's an emphasis on political factions, um, and particularly conservative factions. Um, in the United States, there's Republicans, and there's many more, there's many groups that feed into this. Uh, I read this book um, a couple years ago called The Family, and it was about a Jew, a Jewish journalist, who went in and got in with these conservative Republicans that are trying to shape America. And there, it was a form of what they had in London in Spurgeon's day called muscular Christianity that these are going to be David's conquering Goliath and so forth. And uh, it, on the surface, it sounds okay, but when you look a little bit more deeply into it, um, by their philosophy, they are just taking the place of a sovereign God. Sovereignty is theirs, and it's their place in order to make it better. Um so, so there's an importance of conservative issues, and this is why there's an overlap, that the issues themselves, uh, like abortion, uh, gay rights, and so forth, with, uh, being against abortion, being against, you know, the, the saying homosexuality is a sin, and so forth, and all these different issues become the main emphasis. Therefore, since that's the emphasis, now this is where you get this 
overlap of different theologies and and Christian ideals. You have Jerry Falwell, who just passed away in 2007. Born 1933, died in 2007. Um, President of Liberty, former president of Liberty University, he was a televangelist, the Baptist minister, and and he, with another fellow whose name eludes me, I didn't write it down, uh, started what's called the Moral Majority, and it was a conservative-based platform with the with the Christian ethics, really. And I say it that way because it wasn't a this wasn't a Christian thing. Uh, there was some, you know, good that come out of it. Some good that's come out of it. They should stand for. We should, as citizens, we could stand for things against. We we stand to abolish, stand uh, with the truth of that. Uh, abortion should be abolished. But whether it is or not, you know, that's in the hand of a sovereign God. We stand on the truth of the, that it violates the gospel. But. Um, Changing the government, well, we can pray for the government and we can be as active as we can as citizens as far as the government, but it's going to go as it's going to go in order for the gospel to be to be manifested. Uh, James Dobson, uh, he's still alive, but he's no longer the president on the focus on the family. And um, And see, that's where... I understand where he's coming from. It's like answers in Genesis. Yeah, there are answers in Genesis, but that's not the focus. The focus is the gospel. And the focus on the family, my focus is the gospel and the family is a part of that. And you'll see that in the next message with some practical application for the first time. I'm just kidding. I hope there's practical application in everything. But Pat Robertson also. So you have James Dobson, who's more seemingly more non-denominational, who is an ordained minister, uh, then you have a Baptist like Jerry Falwell, but you also have Pat Robertson, who is clearly a charismatic and has a Master's of Divinity. He's still alive, 700 Club, and born 1930. I don't even know if the 700 Club is still on or if he's a part of it. Um, he, he, the, the people that he has are, are, uh, are very charismatic, Roma Downey Jr. and so forth, the people that are on there. Um, and in fact, we quoted him in the Charismatics where he, as far as for the Word of God, Robertson said, quote, uh, can, I can hardly think that the Bible, which is transmitted through human beings, is totally perfect. I believe it to be the Word of God and a fully inspired book, but not perfection, end quote. So you see where he's coming from, but because he takes a stance on the issues the same as others, then, you know, Pat Robertson's okay. And so there's overlap in this religious right movement. And it's gone out to other countries as well, um, with similar political Christian factions. Canada, United Kingdom, the, the United Kingdom has like three political parties that are Christian, you know, quote-unquote Christian-based, that want conservative values in Parliament. Um, so Canada, United Kingdom, Netherlands, Northern Ireland, Australia, Philippines, Switzerland, some of them are, are, are Catholic, like in Latin America or or uh, uh, the Philippines. They're predominantly Catholic, evangelical Catholics, and uh, some charismatic Protestants. Brother, Brother Buzz. I, often, I studied that one time, and I often wondered why the Catholics, is it, the only thing I can come up with is they were the first ones there. Right, because of uh, Magellan and Pigafetta, like, like in the Philippines. There's no originality to it. They didn't cross over. It's just 
that group moved. That, yeah, that group since Vatican II, as when we studied that in Catholic theology in, in the early 60s, it moved to more being ecumenical. So they took the conservative Christian values that Protestants have and kind of meld them, meshed them together. And so the evangelical Catholics kind of went with the evangelical or the Pentecostal Protestants, like in the in the case of the Philippines, and they united under well, this is what the Bible says, and 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 so forget that our theologies are different. I don't. It doesn't matter that you worship Mary and I worship Christ, uh, since we're together on this. Let's all vote for you know our the candidates that are going to support our agenda. Um, Switzerland, Scandinavia, which uh, and by Scandinavia I'm including Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, Fiji. Mexico, Brazil, Poland, uh, Romania, Hungary, Austria, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. Get this, Lebanon has a political party. It's like less than 1%. But Lebanon has a political party that are professing Christians but promote conservative values within their (laughs) oppressive government. Uh, India and South Korea, no surprise. But the rise of post-millennial eschatology is emphasized. Dominionism. Uh, Brother... You made a statement a while ago that kind of bothered me. It's going to go like it's going to go. This country is going to go like it's going to go. God is control of this country. I mean, he controls the world. But individuals, they study God's word, they're to, to do God's word, and it put an influence on this world in God's word. If you neglect that, that's what's happening now. With the communist influence is affecting this country. The Puritans came over to this country to bring their values, and they this country was started and formed on those. Right, right. Let me let me interrupt you for a minute, brother. Please don't take what I said out of context. You've heard my preaching for four years. You know that I believe in the responsibility of man, that God is sovereign. And, it's, and when I said it's going to go, and I apologize that I said it that way, that it, it bothered you, because then you didn't hear anything le- after that, that it's going to go as it's going to go because we serve as a sovereign God. So it's going to go in the way that it is so that the gospel, and we still have a responsibility, but, but also at the very same time, I've had to deal with people I've had to explain to them, look, this form of government, this great experiment, which uh, as far as a constitutionalist, you know that I am. I supported and defended the Constitution of the United States and understood what I was doing as a a military man, whereas 99, probably 0.99% of the people serving in the military when I served didn't even know what the Constitution was. And I still stand by that experiment. It is a great form because it does really, even by the uh, some of the framers who weren't Christian, as we look at the Christian history of America, Thomas Jefferson, he was a deist. However, they had some Christian values within it. And so it is terrific. But it's being undermined right now. Does it mean that we let it go? Absolutely not. We certainly don't. And I apologize that you were bothered by that. I didn't mean that it's just going to go as it's going to go like a fatalist. I mean, it's going to go as it's going to go as the sovereign God puts it in order for, and, and our responsibility more than anything is the gospel, because the only thing that will fix it 
It's not digging into the issues, I promise you. It's not being that the issues are elevated. We want to abolish abortion. We say that, you know, homosexuality is a sin. And by these things, if we go down that path, by lifting those things up, we will fail. The one place that we must lift up, the only thing we must lift up is Jesus Christ exalted and his gospel. And that's where we need to be. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I don't think about those things. I think about them all the time. I see the new, If I turn on my computer, I'm going to see the news and that's where it's going. But the thing that I, I think is much more dreaded as we have the church history class, the thing that is the, 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 the disheartening thing is that the places that God has ordained for the gospel to come forth, it's not. The gospel is really second place if it's even on the even if, if it's on the list, the gospel is wait is is not first place in the list, even in the Christian right, in these movements, it's not at the top. And that's where it should be. Uh, if you if you take a look at it, it's gotta be the gospel. If we place our emphasis anywhere else then we will fail because it becomes an idol. It becomes the issue that's more important than he who is infinite and eternal, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I apologize. I, I did, I, even when it was coming out, by God's sovereign grace, it came out the way it was so that I, so that, you know, I could be corrected and humbled. Well, I do that a lot. I, 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 it's no secret I tell you guys. I say stupid stuff. And sometimes it's said so that I could not, so that I may be humbled by it. And so, does that help out a little bit, brother? Yeah, we have a responsibility by by all means. Christian is, uh, you can fix your eyes totally on Christ, but you live in this world still where sin is all around you, and, and sin seems to be... And it's and it's will take over this world. I mean, until Christ comes, and to put up with the abortion and the politicians that totally lie that run the country, and people put up with it. I think it's a Christian's responsibility to to combat it in every opportunity they get. Yes, I I agree. But are the tools of our warfare? Are not carnal. It is the gospel itself. And if we don't stand for the gospel, um, whatever we endeavor to do will fail. This is this is the point that I really, really, really want to make with that. When Hitler was taken over the world in World War II, if you would have been in Germany and you would have been against Hitler, would you have picked up an arm at that time and said, what he's doing to the Jews is wrong. Would you took up arms and as a Christian, or would you put it in God's hands and God's this is God's will to do it? Uh, taking that hypothetical there, well, and we covered we covered a bit of that, and we looked at uh, um, you know Bonhoeffer took a bomb. He was called to be a pastor and to to. Seeking to save, to be as Christ, to seek and to save the lost, um, to put myself in his shoes for his time. I, I can't, but I can learn from history and so forth. When the situation arise, arises, and here's my, here's my biggest point, and we didn't get into the modern socialist movement because we've come into 1030. But here's, this will be my biggest point concerning, biggest point concerning that. 
is that when the time comes, I promise, and I promise you this, because the scripture bears it out and we see it in the Old Testament by example after example after example in those types and the New Testament explaining this, that if we, our faith is not standing squarely upon Christ, when the time comes, we will not make the right decision. That's my word to you. That's, I believe, God's word to you and Christ's word to us. That when we're standing in Christ, that our faith is in Christ, then we're doing the best that a sinner saved by grace is able, by God's grace, to be able to make whatever decisions. Yes, we can, we can have a voice to say that we disagree. We have a vote to cast and so forth. There are many countries that don't have even that opportunity as Christians living around the world. But we do what we can do. But the emphasis in our individual lives, and even as our congregational life, must be Christ exalted for God's glory. Because if it's not when that time comes, and it will, there will come a time when the son of perdition will come. If we are not solidly on Christ, we will not be able to make decisions that will make them based off of feelings or experiences rather than the truth. And that's where we need to be. That's where it's going to be solid, and this is why the movements won't are, are a problem. This is why they're problematic. The movements are a problem because they tend to say those answers are in the responsibilities rather than in the Redeemer who has given us the responsibilities. It must be on the Redeemer. It must be in Christ. Do you get that? And that's my biggest heart cry for your preparation, my preparation, and our preparation as a body of Christ, that if the Lord should come, and then Alaska even turns upside down to where we can't worship uh, publicly, we're going to have to worship privately, will, will we take up arms? I'm not amassing any arms, but I do have a few high-powered uh, weapons, and I know that some of you do too. And some of the bears and wild animal, wild game that we may have to take down may be the ones that are coming for those guns. Who knows? Um, even recording something like that might be considered by this administration sedition. But uh, thankfully there were seditionists over 200 years ago that said, we're going to stand up. And most of those that did take up arms in the Revolutionary War were Christians. Not all the framers of the Constitution were Christians, but thank God that it was during a time when they, that the, the Christian did have a voice. And we even had a president that was a pastor, John Quincy Adams, um, who had a godly father, John Adams. So let's pray, because I've taken us, to, and I thank you, brother, for your input. Our most blessed and gracious Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had together. And we ask you, Father, that um, that as we uh, meditate upon your word, that it be your word that places our treasure where it needs to be, upon Jesus Christ and him crucified. In his name and for his sake, we do pray. Amen.